0: Talk about Fight Club. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. This is your life and it's an ending one minute at a time. Come on, you liar. You Victorian? I need this. Now get out. Talk about Fight Club. Talk about Fight Club. Talk about Fight Club. I get it. Very clever. Talk, about Talk, about Talk about Fight Club. Talk about Fight Club. Talk about Fight Club. Talk about Fight Club. Yeah, that's, uh, that's rule number one, two, and three. Talk about Fight Club. Talk about Fight Club. Okay, so here we are. This is the Stinky Think Tank podcast. Thank you for uh, listening. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first seven or eight episodes um, I suggest you do so because it starts these are sort of sequential as they go through the screenplay um, we're talking about Fight Club, we're talking about the Fight Club screenplay, um, I'm injecting a lot of long meandering uh, loosely tied together stories and thoughts um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun um, you can get your copy uh, at uh, Script Slugs, I believe scriptslugs.com. This is the Fight Club screenplay written by um, Chuck Palunic, uh directed by David Fincher, who uh, I've got some notes and some, some Fincherisms to get into in an episode here or two. And um, yeah, we're wrapping into to, into the third act of Fight Club where uh, Jack has finally realized that he is Tyler Durden. Um, we are at page 112. And let's get going. Um, he, he's, in the, he's, he's literally in the middle of his, uh, he's, he's using a, a plain cabin pressure metaphor as he, as he descends into the, the truth of this. Um, Tyler is sort of, you know, baiting him a little bit and hazing him a little bit and insulting him a little bit. And here we go, page 112 at the top. He remembers the revelations of the previous night. He looks at himself in the mirror. A sledgehammer of emotions hit him. He looks at the clock. One thirty five PM. Bam. Interior hallway. The room door slams against the wall as Jack bursts out of the room, sprinting for the stairs. Fuck the luggage. Interior stairwell. Jack takes three steps at a time. Interior lobby. Uh you know what, let me go back one page and just where the fuck are we? All right, we're in a hotel room. Uh where he and he and Tyler are figuring some shit out. He also, I think, just figured out that Marla... um, So, um, okay, Jack and Tyler are in a... Jack is Tyler, uh, are in a hotel room um, somewhere else. I think LaGuardia, maybe New York, Chicago, I don't know. And uh, he called Marla to ask her, are we fucking? And she was like, yeah, you suck. And uh, so he's, he's putting two and two together and realizing he's a real fuckhead. Well, Marla's on her way to the house to the to the the soap street the soap what the fuck is it called uh jesus christ you know the 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 house the shitty house and uh what the fuck is it called i'll figure it out in a minute um and the the, the space monkeys are there the shitheads the project mayhem um bob's been bob's killed bob's got a, a fucking hole in his head uh meatloaf's, meatloaf's been been taken down um, there's mass destruction and, and he's figuring it all out now we can start he remembers the revelations of the previous night he looks at himself in the mirror sledgehammer of emotions clock bam hallway um, fuck the luggage so he's he's, he's he's trying to I guess go back and save Marla but I, I don't know how he's going to get there in enough time um, from where she is Jack storms the front door passing the length of the front desk a desk clerk calls out to him sir Jack catches sight of the clerk who waves a piece of paper desk clerk please initial the list of phone calls Jack snatches the bill and looks at it. There's a mass of phone numbers. I, I, is, in, ni- in the 90s, were they still, like, they didn't know who made the phone call? They're like, can you come and can you acknowledge the 14 phone calls so we can charge you the $32? That's fucking, remember that? Nobody had cell phones? You had to fucking dial 9 to get out? The <laughs> no fuck. Uh, yeah, so Jack snatches the bill and looks at it. There's a mass of phone numbers. Jack, when were these made? Desk clerk, it says right there, sir, between 2 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. Again, so uh, Tyler but Tyler even told Jack, like, when you go to sleep, I go fuck it up. Like, it's kind of how I feel when I take Ambien. I'm like, well, guess we'll just take this pill and just fucking see what happens. Like, maybe Tyler Durden takes over my life at night. If I if I found out, I would be like, well, makes sense. Um, Jack grins. He initials the bill. The clerk gives him a copy. Jack stuffs the bill into his pocket and disappears out the door. Remember when people do that too? You want the paperwork? Fuck you. I don't want paperwork. It's, there's uh, signs of, of of days gone by interior airplane cablin in flight jack sits staring out the window his face set hard uh exterior airport drive sunset jack sprints to the curb and leaps onto a taxi uh 113 exterior marvelous hotel sunset the taxi pulls up to a halt by the curb jack leaps out and runs up to the front steps Interior hotel steps continuous. Jack's still sprinting up the steps. Takes two or three at a time. He gets to a landing, turns and runs to the end of the hallway where he pounds on Marla's door. She opens it. He endures her baleful glaze for a beat. Baleful glaze. They use good words. I, I, guess, I'm, I guess I don't know a lot. Like how many words have I just fucking not known? That's one thing we learned here. I, I, I apparently don't know how to read. Uh, Marla. Marla says, you're whacked out. Bald bald freaks threw me out of the house. I thought they were going to kill me. They almost broke my arm. Jack, I'm sorry. I uh, Jack takes both her hands in his. Jack, Marla, I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to take a tremendous act of faith on your part to believe me. I've had conversations like that, guys. Marla, here comes an avalanche of bullshit. I'm sure that's how everybody feels when I preface anything. Jack, a little more faith than that. Marla, spill it. Interior Marla's room, continuous. Jack leads her towards the bed. He's going to bone her before... No, I'm kidding. Uh, Jack, look, did you notice a big difference between me when we were having sex and when we... When we weren't? Marla, did I notice you're manic depressive? It's like a neon sign all over you. Um, side note, um, full disclosure. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Ma- I'm manic depressive, if you haven't figured that out. Uh, I'm an insomniac, um... Uh, I'm into self-destruction, so this, this is why we're here, guys. This is why we're reading this script first. Second, I kind of did Armageddon, who kind of got fed up with it being a complete fucking shit show. I don't know if you've heard those. I don't recommend them. I don't know if I'll spin back around someday to Armageddon. You've probably heard enough thoughts of me on the movie to whatever. Um, what a piece of shit. Anyway, this is my first movie, and the reason I picked it is because, yeah, it's part of my life. Um, okay. Uh, Did I notice your manic depressive? uh, Jack, no, it's worse than that. Jack sits on the bed, pulling Marla down next to him. They and the sheets and covers slide off to the floor. Jack keeps his composure and looks into her eyes. I don't know, or does she have, like, slippery plastic sheets? You can't sit on the bed without fucking just slipping right off? I don't remember that part. Jack, Tyler is my split personality. Marla, then who are you? Jack takes out his wallet, shows Marla his driver's license. Marla, you gave me a fake name what a jerk. I think she knew, right? I mean, whatever. Jack, I didn't give you the fake name. A, A fake person did. Listen, those people all over the house, you're in danger. Marla, okay. What do you want? You want me to create my own wonder bitch personality to match so we can be a foursome? That is the most generous thing a woman could say to a man who just said, um, I've been fucking the shit out of you in my split personality, I have no idea what would have been doing. My, my name's not Tyler. Um, <laughs> and you're in danger. I'm running a cult of fucking bald maniacs who are probably going to try to kill you. And she's like, okay, what do you want me to do? I can be bitchy if you want. And Jack screams, I want you to fucking believe me. Jack. You wanted to talk? Well, here's our fucking talk. Okay, Jack's eyes well up with tears. He, he turns away from her. Marla's face softens. She strokes Jack's hair, turns his face to look at her. Marla, I'm sorry. This split personality thing. Beat of of silence. She squeezes his hand. He squeezes back. I don't know if you ever see that. Do you see that in the film? She squeezes his hand. He squeezes back. reminds me of my grandma who used to squeeze three times. One, two, three. I love you. Okay. And then as I got older, it was uh, one, four, three. Cool, grandma. Uh. Boy, does that not fit into context? Okay, Jack's eyes. Well, he's sh- 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 okay. I'm sorry. This split personality thing, the squeezing. He looks at her. He's working up some nerve. Jack, I've got to know something. Why did you respond to Tyler instead of me? Sexually. <laughs> um, yeah. This is this is the, the. You know, sometimes I like to zoom out. This is a moment in the film where Edward Norton is asking Helena Bonacarter... Carter. Um, Tell me why you picked Brad Pitt over me. Sexually. Uh, her answer. I um, I don't know what to say. You're Tyler. Jack. Uh, okay. However you want to say it. The abusive side of me. The asshole who treated you like shit and made you leave in the morning. Marlo. What do you want? You want me to say I'm shit and I deserve to be treated like shit? Well, I am. And that's how you got me off. And you know it. Jack touches her face and she slips his hand away. He sighs and gets to his feet. He pulls out an airline flight coupon and shows it to her flight coupon i think that's what they used to call like tickets like an airline ticket a flight coupon hey hi i have 35 cents off a trip to la i don't think that's how but whatever jack i want you to get out of town for a while whether you believe me or not you're in real danger is there some place you can go marla grabs the flight coupon and looks it over marla there's plenty of places i'd like to go Jack digs into his pocket and pulls out a wad of cash. Marla roughly seizes, roughly seizes the cash, checks out the amount. Jack, leave as soon as possible. Go to a rural little town away from a major city. Go now, okay? Promise me. Marla, count on it, and I'm not paying this back. I consider it an asshole tax. It would be so good if women could charge men an asshole tax. Like, boop, there it goes. You owe me. Uh, Jack, I agree more than you know so the asshole tax is not being disputed. But Elon Musk has to ask Twitter uh, for advice as to whether he should sell off some stock and uh, solve poverty. And he's like, no, prove it to me. Anyway, uh, that's a digression. Okay, top of 116, guys. We are in the home stretch. Marla's expression of rage becomes muddled with confusion over Jack's almost spiritual tenderness. Jack starts towards the door. A wave of drowsiness and fatigue hits him. He staggers, eyes closing. He drops onto a chair for a beat and rests his hand over his face. He snaps awake. Marla's gone. Jack bolts up out of the seat. Jack, Marla? Interior hallway. Jack leaps out of the room, looks down the hall in both directions. Jack, Marla? He's still looking for a paper street. It's fucking called Paper Street. Okay, back at Paper Street, exterior. A taxi screeches to a halt. Jack gets out. He's back at home. Jack, wait here. Um. I'm pretty sure Marla's gone. I think he's alone and he's, he's back at the house. Interior, Paper Street. Moments later, Jack walks in to find it completely empty and deserted. He gawks at the bathtub and canisters that hold vast amounts of liquid. He sees bottles labeled nitric acid. He tiptoes to the kitchen, picks up the phone. He pulls out the hotel bill and scans the phone numbers. Through the window, the last bit of sunlight slowly sinks. Jack punches the first number. Voice from the phone. Maintenance. A brief silence while Jack absorbs this and adjusts. Jack, okay, okay excuse me, uh, I, I'm not sure I have the right number. I've been calling maintenance departments all over the city regarding the water supply. Which maintenance department is this? Voice, very good, sir. Jack, excuse me? Voice, don't worry about us, sir, we're solid. Jack hangs up the phone, he punches the next number. Different voice, maintenance. Jack, give me your position. Different voice, uh, who is this? Jack Oh excuse me I'm calling from the water company I mixed up my phone numbers which which maintenance department am I talking about ah, Different voice You almost had me there sir everything's a okay here Jack hangs up the phone he punches the next number another different voice from phone maintenance This whole maintenance thing repeats for the rest of this page and and it, it, I I it, you see where it's going right okay let's go to 118 You told me you'd say that, sir. I don't care what I told you. There's really a change of plans. You told me you'd say that, sir. Now listen to me, you stupid fuck. I've got the phone numbers mixed up. Tell me where you are now. Even another voice. Yes, this is a very good test, sir. You sound like you mean it. Uh, Jack hangs up the phone and kicks it. He flushes red, looks around at passerbys. He lifts the receiver again and punches the next number on the hotel bill. Scratchy voice from the phone. Mason Industrial Electronics. Jack, this is Tyler Durden. Scratchy voice. Are you out of your fucking mind? What the fuck are you doing calling me in the daytime? jack i have some questions about the voice jesus i showed you guys how to use it a four-year-old could take that shit and break through any security system in the world if you can't then fuck you moron now don't ever call me again click disconnect jack looks at the receiver hangs it up exterior lose tavern i love loose tavern i i i don't think we, they, they you gotta promise me Lou. when uh they, like pitts being you know like held back, and he's screaming in that guy's face. You gotta promise me, little you fucker. I love that part. Uh, exterior, Lou's Tavern. Um, Jack gets out of the cab, turns to the cabbie. Jack, I gotta, I gotta have you wait again. Just leave the meter running. The cabbie grins. Cabbie, there's no charge, Mr. Durden. Jack gawks at him, backs away. Uh, interior, Lou's Tavern, same. Uh, I just the not worry, you gotta promise me, Lou. Jack darts inside and signals to Irvine. Irvine comes out. This Irvine's the name of a guy in here. I think it's the bartender or whoever. I used to live in Irvine, and uh, it throws me off every time I read it. Irvine comes out from behind the door, and he and Jack move to the corner. Other men with bruised faces turn and watch them. Jack, look, I need to know where the nitroglycerin was taken. Irvine scowls at him a beat and then slowly smiles. Irvine, right, Mr. Durden. Jack, this isn't a test. There's been a mix-up. Irvine, he told me you'd say that. No, you told me you said that. I'm sorry. You told me you'd say that. Jack, where are all the maintenance departments? Irvine, you told me you'd say that too. Jack bristles with rage. He grabs Irvine's shirt collar. Jack, did I tell you I'd call you a motherfucking asswipe, dickhead? Irvine, yes, you did. Marlowe walks into the tavern, makes a beeline for Jack. Jack, what the hell are you doing here? You told me to meet you here at 10 till. Jack, when? Back in my room, when you dropped into the chair. Shit. Irvine and a couple of the bruised-faced guys grin. And Marla and at Marla, take two. Irvine and a couple of the bruised faced guys grin at Marla and take a few steps towards her. Jack grabs her and drags her out the door. Exterior of Lou's tavern. I gotta wear your fucking word, Lou. Jack ignores the waiting cabbie and heads for the main road. He's stomping along at a brisk pace. His face hardens into a mask of psychotic determination. He pulls Marla with him onto a rundown side street. He darts into a pawn shop, immediately points to something high on the shelf. Let me have that trumpet. The owner, a huge gruff man, pushes a ladder to the spot and starts to climb. Jack throws himself onto the countertop near the register, looks around, and pulls up a handgun. The owner, hey. Marla gasps. Gasps. Jack checks the clip. It's fully loaded. He sprints for the door, dragging Marla. Exterior street, continuous. Jack steps out into traffic. A Lexus screeches to a halt. Jack goes to the driver's door and whips it open. I don't know why it had to be Alexis. It's Alexis. Jack, police emergency. Driver, bullshit. Jack doesn't look like a cop. Uh, Jack shoves the gun barrel in the driver's temple. The driver gets out of the car and flees. Jack points the gun at Marla and motions her to get into the car. Overwhelmed by all of this, she complies. Jack leaps behind the wheel and stomps on the gas. Uh, exterior Greyhound bus station later. Jack drags Marla into the p- passenger loading area. A Greyhound bus is taking on passengers. Jack sees the destination, Phoenix, and he impulsively averts his eyes, but too late. Jack, shit, I can't know where it's going. Come on, Uh, let's find another one. Jack drags her to another loading bus. He keeps his eyes averted from the destination sign. Jack, get on the bus. Marla, reading the destination, but I don't want to go. Shut up. Don't tell me where it's going. Marla, but the people there talk funny and their teeth are rotten. Is he sending her on a bus to Britain? Uh, Ooh, but any any, uh, saucy little Brits are going to get mad at me. Um, But the people there talk funny and their teeth are rotten. Uh, Shit, now I know it's the rural south. See, you can't take a bus to England or you would have thought that. Jack jams the gun barrel into Marla's ribs. Jack, Jack, get on the fucking bus right now. Marla starts for the bus. Jack keeps himself from seeing the destination sign, but watches Marla get on board. Then the doors close. Then the bus pulls away. Then the bus gets to the end of the ro- road and turns a corner. Jack turns and walks off the passenger platform and onto the exterior street. Page 122. He sees a space monkey on the corner watching him. He looks down and sees another monkey in the opposite direction, also watching him. Fucking monkeys. Jack voiceover. They probably had a map of the city with little pushpins. I felt like a migrating goose on Wild Kingdom. Well, fine. They could watch me do this. Interior police station night, Jack walks past desks of plainclothes detectives until he sees a private office. He glances down at a business card, then keeps moving forward. Jack steps inside the office to see Detective Stern at his desk. I want you to arrest me. I'm the leader of a terrorist organization that's about to set off bombs all over the city. Detective Stern scowls at Jack. Moments later, Jack, handcuffed in the hallway, is led by Detective Stern. Several other detectives follow. A somber mood prevails. I like that. A somber mood prevails. Interior interrogation room. Stern enters and leads Jack to a table. All the other detectives file inside. The last one closes the door. Dim light from a single bulb overhead creates the tone of a torture chamber. Cigarette smoke becomes thick. Jack sighs with relief. It's finally over. The detectives all stare harshly at Jack. Then they all burst into hysterical laughter. They slap and punch Jack's shoulders. Detective Stern very good mr. Durden Jack uses all his strength to stifle his utter shock he forces a thin thin smile page 123 uh, D- detective Stern Operation Donimo has everyone a little skittish today, but it's going like clockwork. Jack ready to explode keeps the smile plastered on his face and forces his hand like a, a palsy victim to form the gesture thumbs up the detectives give him the same gesture in reply. Uh, a couple, couple little stories. Uh, we're getting, we've we got eight pages or something left. Um, I've been confused with many celebrities. The first of which was Bud Bundy. Um, I think his name's David Fustino. I was eleven or twelve or, or whatever, and um, oddly enough, my cousins who lived in Vegas and Terry, um, they they saw it first. They were like, "Boy, you look a little bit like that kid from Married. You look like Bud Bundy." Well, okay, so. Around that time, I was flying to Vermont. Um, I spent I spent summers up there with my with my grandparents and my uncle, um, and it was like a rush song. That there was a my uncle had a, a Honda two hundred and fifty or something with a, a in a barn with a you know a, a blanket over it, and I'd get up there at, at thirteen or fourteen years old, and he'd pull it off. And go, here, you can ride this bike, and I go, Well, I don't have a license, and I don't have a helmet, and he's like, Just get on the fucking bike and ride around. It's Vermont; you are not going to see another. Another car, um, so I learned to ride motorcycles up there in Vermont. Anyway, but flying back one time, I was stuck at O'Hare in, in in Chicago, and the the storm was so intense they they stopped all flights, right? And so some people were getting a bus to a, a nice hotel to sleep, but I didn't have that kind of money, so I was like, "What are my options? I, I can't like I'm fuck I'm stranded here," and the the airline was like, um, "Not not our problem," like "Fuck you, it's not our problem." So uh, I went to like this abandoned part of the airport and I found a bag of, of like airline pillows, you know, like the tiny little, it's like a fucking pillow of Kleenex. Um, there was a bag of those. I I laid all those out flat and then I had, I I got some of those airline blankets and I made myself this little bag it was behind a ticket counter or whatever. And I just kind of slept and it was a wide open window, full ceiling height window. And I just watched this amazing, um, thunderstorm and, and, electrical storm. It was incredible. And, I did get some sleep but what happened was um, somebody I don't I do not know who or why but somebody must have told a group of people hey I think Bud Bundy is asleep over in the Continental you know Airlines ticketing section so a train of people came almost evenly dispersed to ask me for an autograph or a picture this is probably before pictures Um, or maybe they had like you know disposable cameras or whatever but Hey, you're Bud Bundy, and and I was not, and I didn't, I never let anybody on. I was just like, I'm not him. Please let me sleep. But the more I protested, the more they they thought it was really him. They were like, Yeah, that's what Bud Bundy would say. And I was like, Fuck, this is horrible. Um, yeah. That, so there, there's that story, right? Well, fast forward thirty years, right? So now I'm an adult, and um, I'm an asshole, and I'm at. Let me see. It was a, I think it was a Matchbox Twenty and Train concert, and I have my own. Um, history with both those bands um, and some funny stories hopefully we'll get into another time but um, I'm I'm backstage my girlfriend and I were going to get drinks or go to the bathroom or something right and and we I knew my way around and and by then I'd had met you know the the gatekeepers of the stuff like that and so we I was just like you know let's go this way we'll go backstage you want to take a leak and get a drink and we'll head back out Um, anyway we run into Steve Perry from Journey and um, I turned into all of those fucking airline people. And I, I was like, holy shit. Um, hey, you know, come on, look at this. This is Steve Perry. I, I, I had been drinking. Um, a lot of my stories about being assholes to fucking celebrities were during the days that I drank. Now, I wasn't a huge drinker. I was not an alcoholic. I didn't have a problem. But I did, um, well, I, I can't even blame it on the alcohol completely because I've always had sort of a disdain for fame Um even even though I play guitar and and do shows and act and all that shit myself, there's something about kind of spitting in the face of the fame hurricane that that just fucking tickles me pink. But I wasn't doing that this night. I truly was just kind of happy because I knew my girlfriend at the time was a was a, a Journey fan, um, and yeah, it was. I mean, I so I just I was like, hey, what's up, Steve Perry? And I didn't want I didn't want a picture. I didn't want an autograph. I was just like, "How you doing, man? It's, you know, what's up?" And he's like, "I'm not Steve Perry." And I'm like, "Yeah, you are. Like, don't fucking bullshit me, Steve Perry. I, like, if anybody knows Steve Perry in this conversation, I think it's me." And he's like, "Nope, um, not gonna. I'm not Steve Perry." To this moment, I still believe it was a hundred percent, not in question, that that was Steve Perry. However, I was wrong, and I should have let the fucking guy go. And the minute he said, "I'm not him," I should have just let it, you know, let it go. I didn't. I stood there. I think I bought him a drink, and he didn't want a drink. Like I was insistent that I was going to get this confession out of him that he was Steve Perry. Um, I never got it, but I do believe he was Steve Perry. And I'm pretty sure there's people walking around Chicago who who tell a very similar story about uh, they met Bud Bundy, and he wouldn't admit he was Bud Bundy. But I'm not Bud Bundy, and that was Steve Perry. Second little story um, – I don't like, I've never been a gun guy at all. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not an activist or anything, but they make me uncomfortable. Um, I've never thought that having one would make me more safe. I always thought like, if, if I'm in a gun shootout, um, I would rather walk face first into a bullet than shoot somebody. It just seems foreign to me. Right. So, um, I become an actor four or five years ago and, um, I had a couple parts where I had to use a gun. Now, this whole thing with Alec Baldwin just happened, and it's tragic, and it's sad, and it shouldn't have happened, and there, I do have thoughts on it, but I don't want to get off on a diatribe about that. Um, I will just tell you that um, on the jobs that I've done that I've had to use a, a gun. First of all, um, I did what it, what I do when I found out I had to hold a gun just like the story I told about cigarettes. Um, I didn't want to look like It was the first time I ever held a gun in my hand because I knew I would. I I, I knew I was, I I mean, all my friends would laugh and go like, dude, you're holding it wrong or, you know, whatever. I I, I just, I don't feel comfortable with it. So I bought a a BB gun that looks, I mean, when I was a kid, well, I had a BB gun accident one time where, not accident, it was an incident. Um, I had, like, a Red Ryder BB gun, and I think I was grounded for doing something. I was in, eighth, like, eighth grade or ninth grade. And uh, I got home before my parents, and I was just out back, like, shooting lizards at lizards. I don't think I would ever sh- hit one. Um, but, like, it was a literally punk, pump action, right? So it would just, like, hit the dirt and be boof. Well, a kid was coming home, um, who I knew, and he saw me, and he's like, come on, try to shoot me, kind of try to shoot me. And he fucking, like, wouldn't leave me alone. So finally I just, like, cranked it, and I kind of lofted one towards him. And He takes off, right? Well, he ran home, which is only like uh, two blocks away, and called nine one one, and the fucking cops came, and I'm back there with just this fucking Red Rider, right? So they 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 like cuff me, and 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 we're in my house. My parents aren't home, and I know I know the cops called my mom first because she lived locally, and she's like, "What the fuck? You were shooting at people?" And I was like, "No, it's, fuck this kid, this kid really got me." Because uh, it was bad. So I got a warning and a this and a that and a slap on the wrist. My mom had to come from home from work. Well, my dad comes home from work, and he was so furious, right? He was embarrassed and furious. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to have to ride this one out. Like, that kid, he fucking played me. Like, he baited me and then fucking called 911. <laughs> but so my dad's all mad, right? And he's like, you you don't deserve If you're not responsible enough to, to take this, mother, you don't deserve this shit. So he, he, we're, we go out to the garbage, and he's got my little Red Rider fucking rifle, and he tries to be tough, right? So he tries to break it over his knee. He's like, "God damn it!" He fucking hits it, and it's it's a it's not a sophisticated weapon. It was like a barrel full of loose BBs that when you pump, one falls into the thing, and then just a little a little hammer just goes dink. and it, I mean, it goes like twelve feet. It, you couldn't hurt anybody with it. You could, I could stand next to you, hit you, and you would maybe have a welt. Anyway. He breaks it over his knee and these BBs just fucking fly in his face and they fly into the pool. And our backyard was just covered with fucking BBs after that. And I couldn't stop laughing. I really couldn't stop laughing. So I, I got in big trouble for that. Anyway, years later, I'm an actor and I go out and I buy a, a handgun BB gun. And in, when, in my youth, I remember like squirt guns had to be weird colors. And any gun that looked like a gun had to have like a fucking orange or yellow tip. Well, this baby gun I bought at Walmart looked exactly like a fucking Glock or whatever. I think it was a Glock. Um, Gibby would know; he remembers um, being my wingman on how to handle all this, right? So it's it's a um, it's uh, the the cartridge CO2, right? And so this this gun pops. It's you know, um, not that I was using it for that. I I had the guts taken out of it and everything. And in fact, I've used it on sets as a as a prop gun. Anywho, the ones that that I've done. Um, there's a there's a producer kid, or a, you know, an ass, a, a director's assistant, an assistant director, I don't know, an AD, whoever, um, who is fully assigned that like that armorer position, right? And they come in, and take the gun away and put it in a little lock safe, and then you have to check it out and you have to go through this little training, and it's it, like they they tell you where you don't point it at somebody, you point it to the side, all that shit. It's it's it was pretty pretty brutal, um, or or not brutal, but um, strict. And, and I had to learn a lot and stay very focused, and I, and I took it very seriously. Um, but like the cigarette, I didn't want to look like a weenie holding a gun. So I had it at home, and I would just kind of, you know, play with it. Like it would just be in my belt, and I'd see how that felt, and then I'd put it in my, in my butt crack and stand up and do all the stuff that gun people do in movies. Um, and then what happened was I, I moved to this this fucking place in, in Azusa, and it, I, I chose it because it was cheap. And it was, you know, somewhat close to my mom. Um, But so I move in and within, I, I lived there six weeks. And within the first five weeks, there were like eight murders. Like two weeks in, like there was a murder, a block. I could see it. I could see the little like police tape out my window. And that happened at like two in the morning. So I'm I'm in my little apartment, and the cops come. I mean, this was a big deal. The cops come at like 2:30 in the morning, and they're like, "Hey, we need to clear your house." And I was like, "Nobody has come in or out." And for a couple minutes, they were like, "Not good enough." They're like, "We're we, there's a fugitive. We need to we need to clear to make sure that it, that you're not harboring a fugitive." And and I don't think I like agreed and let them in. I I know I gave them enough. Reassurance that there, that nobody had come in, um, but yeah. So anyway, uh, I have this prop BB gun that looks like a Glock, and I'm in this murder neighborhood. And for the next couple of weeks, like I could hear gunshots at night all the time. There was like a gang war going on in in my exact vicinity. It, it was almost like in the movie Training Day, how he goes into the jungle, and at the at the at the entry to the jungle, there's a guy flipping pigeons to let let people know cops are coming, and you drive all the way to the back, and at the back you have a perfect highline to see, you know, nobody could get to you. That I almost had that exact apartment in this little jungle ghetto hood area. Um and and so shortly during that time, um my neighbor I'm like going out to my car or something and my neighbor's like, "Hey man, you need to get out of here." And I'm like, oh, "I know, it sucks. I I'm I'm you know, but at the same time I was like, who am I to be better than living here? Like people live in ghettos, and people live in violent neighborhoods and and don 't fucking you know freak out and run away. well, he goes, no, you need to freak out and fucking run away you 're new you 're white, you look like a cop because i was I had played a cop in a film like when I first moved there, and he 's like they they think you 're either a cop undercover who's surveilling the area or they think you 're rich either way you you, you got to get the fuck out of here, so i did i I got the fuck out of there. But what was funny is after he told me that he said, like, you know, you're in trouble. You need to get the fuck out of here. I called my buddy, Abe the Wolf, who is completely capable, has, has firearms. I mean, he's he, he's a bouncer and he's a big dude, and um, you know, he just knows this kind of shit. He's a, he's a fucking Eagle Scout adult who he's got one of those backpacks he carries with him everywhere that has like water and and contact solution, even though I don't think he wears contacts and lipstick and chapstick and, and fucking uh, paracord and I mean the guy's prepared for anything right so he comes over he had come over when I first moved in and he's like hey this place it's kind of ghetto it's kind of you know it's a little more hood um but yeah you'll you'll meet some people here this is a cool you'll 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 get some culture you'll get you'll get some cross-training as to the ways of the world and I was like cool great well then these murders start happening And he comes back over and he's like, "Well, I was kind of afraid of that, but I did see some like gang marking the last time I drove out, and yeah, I was afraid this wouldn't turn bad, but um, yeah, you need to get the fuck out of here." And I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna look for another apartment, but um, I feel all right because I have this this fucking BB gun, and I'm like, you know, if anybody comes over, I'll, you know, I I'll just brandish it like it's you know real, and and he's he's staring at me like he's going white, you know, he's going pale." And he finally just goes. And he, I would say probably, I've known him five years. I bet ten times, maybe twenty, during that time we've had conversations. And he just he's able to just look at me and go, "That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard you say." And I say stuff like that all the time, right? But he basically showed me um, that it would get me killed. That the, the the people, I mean, obviously I was hearing gun, real gunshots every night, so they weren't going to just be afraid of. The weenie, the weenie white kid that just moved into the neighborhood and his BB gun, he, he was serious. So he, he was like, I would rather you have nothing than a BB gun. Um, but he said, what you really need to get is some, some fucking pepper spray, some mace. Um, cause that'll, that'll buy you time to get away, to get the fuck away from whatever's going on. So, uh, I did that and he, he, he actually like came in and he was like, here's your eye lines. And if anything happens, stay below this. And he really gave me like a, a military prepping of like, don't get yourself killed. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I guess that's that's the story right there. Anyway, I got out of there a little while later, and, and now I live in a quiet little uh, college town. Um, and it's very safe here, at least I think so. But that was wild. Okay, page 123. Um, so, yeah, Operation Domino has everything, but it's all clockwork. So David Stern, <laughs> Detective Stern, um, a door opens and Jack is playfully shoved outside. Laughter of detectors ring out. Jack starts to walk away from the police station. So he's, he's realizing that he, he's fucked. Let's be honest. Exterior street continuous. Jack steps onto the street. In a state of shock, he, he lopes forward. Dizzy. He lopes forward. I don't think it's leaps. It's lopes. Like, lopes is probably a good word there, right? Yeah. Jack, Operation Domino. Fall like dominoes. Shit. One, two, three, yes. Passersby look at him as if he were a homeless, insane guy. Jack continues, the banks. What was the first one? Number one, number one, Citibank. So they're bringing down the banks. Can't buy them. Interior, stolen Lexus moments later. Jack races along the streets, swerving and passing cars, honking. After a beat, a motorcycle cop appears behind Jack and turns on his siren and flashing light. Jack reflectively slows down. The motorcycle moves up beside Jack and the cop smiles, waving Jack forward. The cop provides an escort. The Lexus turns a corner and heads for the Citibank building. So the cop's in on it. Jack leaps from the car, spritz into the lobby. Two space monkeys take over the escort and lead Jack towards the elevator. Jack, I'll take the stairs. Jack darts to the side, throws open the stairwell door. Stairwell. Jack dashes down the steps, parking area. Jack races from the stairwell into the parking area eyes combing the place. He darts from one support post to another, his eyes frantically searching. He moves around a support post and sees Tyler sitting on the ground, his back against the post. Tyler, looking for something? Jack, where are the charges at? Tyler, don't end a sentence with a preposition. <laughs> I don't know, did that make the movie? Because that's pretty fucking funny. You looking for something? Where are the charges at? Don't end a sentence with a preposition. It's a question. Where are the charges at? Don't have a sentence. It's a, part, it's a question. Jack, where are the charges at? Fuckhead. So there, he, he, he fixed it. Tyler, listen to elephant balls. Shit, slinging a gun. Ooh, where did I go right? Oh, Marla. Shit, Marla just hit the microphone. You okay? All right, we'll keep going. We got a couple more pages. will come up. Nope. Shit, don't want to come up. Cats. Why the fuck they do that? I don't Okay, listen to elephant balls. Okay. Uh, Jack moves away, continuously looking around the support post. Tyler, there's eight floors of parking. Wow, that's a lot. I used to build parking structures. Eight floors of parking is a lot. There's six or six, five or six floors of parking underneath Hollywood and Highland, which is a job I worked three years on. Um, and it basically rebuilt downtown Hollywood and includes the Kodak Theater. I was a part of the team that built the Kodak Theater, which uh, is where the Oscars are held. So... Yeah, I I don't know how that shit happened. Marla, come here. Marla, 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 what are you doing? Boy, she wants something. I'm not going to finish this, okay? Sorry, guys. It's getting a little loopy. Uh, Jack, I don't give a shit. You do, because you don't have enough time. Tyler grins, points at his watch. Ten minutes. Jack stalks back towards Tyler. Gun raised. Jack, tell me where the charges are. Tyler, they're all up and down the building. They're not just here. Tyler, if you tried to stupidly pull a fuse on a charge, you'd just cause it to blow up. The charge is all set to go in a specific order, so that the building will implode and collapse. If you did diffuse one of the charges, you'd fuck up the sequence, and the building might fall the wrong way. Why don't you just find a television and watch the party? Jack, I'm awake. I have control of this body. You can't give orders. Tyler, I don't have any orders left to give. It's all set. Jack boils over then cracks. He drops the gun, falls to his knees, and clutches at Tyler. He touches Tyler's face. Jack, Tyler, you're real, aren't you? This is all a big joke, right? You are real, you son of a bitch. Tears well up in Jack's eyes. He hugs Tyler. Tyler hugs him back. Tyler, we're both real. Jack squeezes harder, then lifts his head. He's hugging another Jack. The real Jack gasps, flinches backwards, landing on the gun. He turns, grabs the gun, and turns back around. Fifty feet away, Tyler, standing, leans against a pillar and winks. Page 126. Jack raises the gun, turns it around, and aims it at his own head. Jack, there's only one way to stop all this. Jack shoves the barrel into his mouth. Tyler, you better not. If our body is found dead, the space monkey's have orders to kill Marla. Jack, Marla's gone, and you don't know where. Tyler's hand suddenly darts into frame, close-up, and snatches the gun. New angle. Tyler, laughing, holding the gun, dashes for the elevator. Jack sprints after him. Interior elevator. Jack manages to leap inside just as the door closes. He lunges at Tyler and fights for the gun. Tyler, laughing, manages to retain it. The elevator climbs rapidly. Blinking numbers indicate floors whizzing by. Interior, top floor, lobby. There's not a... Oh, top. Okay, the lobby of the top floor. The lobby's. It's not the building lobby. It's the lobby of the top floor. The elevator doors open, and the struggling pair whirl out, and together, the uh, uh, take two. The elevator doors open, and the struggling pair whirl whirl out and toward the glass walls. Tyler shoves Jack's head against the window, turns it so Jack's looking down. A greyhound bus sits idling right by the front lobby doors, having been allowed through the cordon top floor lobby resuming as tyler and jack continue to stare downward jack sees that's not a bus tyler you know it is tyler swings jack from the window and shoves him backwards tyler how can you grasp that there's nothing you can do jack raises the gun aiming at tyler tyler laughs but flinches just as jack fires the bullet chews out a chunk of the wall tyler nope, sorry jack jack I'm not going to kill myself, I'm going to kill you. Tyler laughs as he starts rapidly moving down the hallway. You can't kill me, how could you kill me? Jack fires again, missing Tyler. Tyler breaks into a sprint, Jack does the same. Interior hallway, Jack turns a corner, sees Tyler at the end of the section of hallway, heading for an intersection. Jack aims the gun at Tyler. Rapid cut to security camera POV hallway. Jack aims the gun at himself, rapid cut to hallway. Jack fires. As Tyler flinches down, rapid cut to security camera POV. Jack flinches down, having shot at himself. Back to hallway. Jack resumes sprinting until he turns a corner to page 128. Jack sees Tyler turn, freeze, then leaps sideways towards a room. Jack fires. The bullet grazes Tyler's legs. Rapid cut to security POV hallway. Jack, with the gun still aimed at his own leg, falls backwards, bleeding from the graze. The grazed wound he just gave himself. Back to the hallway. Jack pulls himself to his feet, and his face, now looking completely insane, runs with his limp, holding the gun up, ready to fire. He turns a corner. Suddenly, Tyler leaps onto Jack. Security camera. Jack crumples to the floor and wrestles with himself. He punches himself. He tries to trap-pin his own arms. He kicks himself rapid cut to top floor lobby. Tyler leaps to his feet and dashes away. Jack pulls himself up and follows to a large social room with floor-to-ceiling windows showing a view of the city. There are a hundred duffel bags lining the floor along the walls. Tyler leaps onto Jack, seizes the gun. Jack holds on to Tyler. Tyler shoves the gun barrel into Jack's mouth. Tyler, okay, let's kill you. Let's kill both of us. Be a martyr for the cause. Tyler pushes Jack against the glass wall. Jack, exhausted, is losing his spirit. Page 129, Jack VO. I think this is about where we came in. Tyler, two minutes. Okay, so the VO is taking us back to the very beginning of the movie where he's got the gun in his mouth and Tyler's holding it, et cetera. Jack collapses to the floor. Tyler moves down with him, keeping the gun in Jack's mouth. He, He sits on Jack. Jack, either way the building blows us up or you pull the trigger. It'll finally be over. Tyler, this building isn't going to blow up. It's the observation room. Pay-per-view. So what are you going to do? You don't even have the guts to make a decision. Jack looks into his eyes for a moment, then reaches up and pulls the trigger. Go to slow motion as kablam! His cheeks inflate with gas from the gun. His eyes bulge. Blood flies out backwards from his head. Smoke wafts out of his mouth. Resume normal speed as Tyler gapes, at Jack, then reaches behind his head and feels there's a hole blown out of the back. Tyler's eyes glaze over and he falls backwards, plopping on the floor, dead, with a grin on his face. A throng of space monkeys, two of whom drag Marla, rush into the room. They see Jack, alone, holding a gun, bleeding profusely from the side of his face, where he shot a hole through his cheek. He stares at the empty floor in front of him with this weird little smile. Tall space monkey, are you open? Are you all right, sir? The two space monkeys who hold Marla press forward through the crowd. One of them puts a gun to her head and cocks it. Tall space money. Are you all right, sir? Jack takes in the sight of Marla and the gun at her head. He cracks a Tyler-esque grin. Everything's fine. Give me the girl. The monkeys release Marla. She moves towards Jack, now becoming more shocked by his bloody state. Jack grabs her arm. She digs through his purse and pulls out a wad of tissue paper. She puts them into his mouth to plug, to plug the hole. Marla, what the fuck is going on? Jack cracks his weird little smile. His eyes are wide and half insane. He winks at Marla and squeezes her hand. Jack, Tyler's dead. The space monkeys all grab their duffel bags and file out of the room, saluting Jack as they go. Now, Jack and Marla are completely alone. He struggles to get to his feet. She helps him. They look out the window. Massive explosion. A building a quarter of a mile away. Its destruction is completely visible from here. The glass walls rattle loudly from the shockwave. They both stare out the window. Jack, listen. You met me at a really weird time in my life. Marla looks at Jack, then looks back out the window. He reaches for her hand. She takes it. They are silhouetted against bright flashes as another building explodes and collapses. Another building explodes, and another building, and another building. Film slows down, then advances one frame at a time, showing the sprocket holes on the sides. It's caught in the mechanism of the projector's gate. Each frame is the exploding buildings, then one frame is a penis, then exploding buildings again. Speed up the frames, lose the sprocket holes, Resume normal speed. Fade out. The end. Okay, so we made it. We made it. Um, Thank you all. Anybody who stuck with it to this point deserves some sort of medal of recognition. Um, And if I could afford it and had the time, I'd send one to each and every one of you. Um, That's the end of the movie. I think I'm gonna have one more podcast at some point where I, I talk to a director friend of mine, um, where we go through the Bechtel test, and um, now that we're finished, I guess I could tell you guys I haven't watched the movie while I was doing this. I was trying to do everything from memory off off the script, and um, but I do have the Amazon Prime movie it, it, Fight Club is, is showing on Amazon Prime right now. If you have it, um, it you know it, it. I don't know when you're listening to this or if this will be up to public at any time, but. Um it's usually on some service or or it's it's usually playing in an edited form. Oh, there's a helicopter, there might be a chase. Yeah, let me go check that out. So anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for commenting, thanks for sharing and, and, and subscribing and all that shit. And I appreciate each and every one of you guys. Um I don't know. Let's uh let's hear how you guys like this one and maybe we'll start another one. Thanks for listening. Be good. Like, yeah. Yeah. Very much. That's it working out, that's it working out, being clever, being clever. you hit me as talking about Amazon what's the movie fight club about fight club is a 1999 drama starring Brad Pitt Edward Norton and Meat Loaf the movie is about an insomniac office worker and a devil-may-care soap maker form an underground fight club that evolves into much more let's just stay in the moment smoke some weed drink some wine Reminisce, talk some shit, Forever Young is in your mind. Leave a mark they can't erase, through neither space nor time. So when the director yells cut I'll be fine. I am forever young.